0: Hey, this is Kat Perkins, and you're listening to the Ken Valdez Approach on Rock
1: Rage Radio. Welcome,
0: welcome to the Ken Valdez Approach. Oh yeah, welcome on in. It's your boy KV coming at you from my Soul Renegade sound studio here in Minneapolis. I'm welcoming you to the Ken Valdez Approach. Oh, my friends, I got a great show for you lined up. My special guest this week is Steve O'Jerry. Now, Steve used to have this band back in the day called Tall Stories. In fact, that's where I first heard about him. And Tall Stories, just a criminally overlooked band. It breaks my heart because they were so good. And as a matter of fact, their debut record, I believe is one of the greatest American rock and roll records of all time. It is that good. I loved it. He also spent a little time in a band called Taiketo, and after that, well, he had the task of filling Steve Perry's shoes in the band called Journey. In fact, he was a singer that uh, brought him back, if you will, and man, did he. He had a few great records with that band, and of course, that that catalog is so difficult to sing, no matter who you are. And, you know, a few years into his tenor with Journey, he kind of lost his voice a bit and uh, unfortunately had to uh, had to gracefully bow out. Well, a few years have passed, his voice has come back, and he has just released a brand new record called Seven Ways Till Sunday. And it is melodic rock gold, man. This guy really did something special. There's a lot of heart, a lot of soul Rock and roll, and there's a few things in there too that were very, very surprising to me that uh, were a bit of ear candy. And we're going to be talking a lot about that and finding out more about one Steve Ageri. So, why don't you come and join me on this little interview with my guest, Steve Ageri? Let's find out what he's been up to right here on The Approach. Well, here we are, we're hanging with Steve Algeri today after he is aged a year after talking to USPS. we've all been there I get it I get it (laughs) regardless man how you doing brother how you doing what's happening
1: it's great to talk to you Ken. man I appreciate it I know we've met in the past but there's been too, way too many years in between way
0: too many yes sir
1: reconnect and say hello to you and your listeners buddy
0: hey man well dude you got a brand new record things are looking real good you got a new tour that's gonna be coming up with uh, some really exciting names look at that yeah so we got uh, seven ways till sunday and let me tell you guys this record is it's spectacular it really is and i'm just gonna start here right you are a guy who i look at as mr consistency no joke every record that i think i've ever heard you do has been outstanding how, wow. do you, how do you keep that consistency up, man? Because, like, seriously, it is, it's a remarkable track record that you have, dude.
1: <laughs> well, first of all, wow, that's an amazing uh, compliment. But I'll tell you the truth. The reason why I haven't released a record in X amount of years is because maybe I wanted to keep that consistency going. So I waited um, for several years, and I would put a song out every, every year just to keep my audience um, just to let them know I was alive and still creating. But uh, I finally released this record thinking, I think I finally, uh, John Kane used to have an expression. He used to say, when we think we had enough songs for a record, for a journey record, he'd say, we were holding as if he's playing cards. Oh, we're holding. And I got to the point where I said, you know what? I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm holding. I've got a good hand. And so that's when I said, and, and so maybe that, it has something to do with the consistency situation you're talking about. I just felt confident that, uh, and then the pandemic hit, and I said, I better put this out before, you know, the end of the world <laughs> happens. And uh, so that's a nice compliment. I appreciate that. Hey, well, I, I, I had told stories to work with. That was a great, wonderful band, um, Taiketo. Yes. Another s- terrific, terrific band, uh, and I'm proud of that record as well. And then, of course, then came the Journey album. So, yeah, I've been lucky. I've been fortunate. Man, yeah, you
0: definitely, like I said, that track record is is something else. You would brought up Tall Stories. We'll go back there. You guys had that one record. It was your self-titled record. This is the first one. Am I correct there in saying that? So the self-titled record. No joke, yo. If you guys have not listened to this record, you're missing out because I truly believe in my heart of hearts this is one of the greatest rock and roll records of all time bar none. Every song is a killer. Every performance is a killer. There's something, you know, there's something recognizable, you know, in, in, in the vibe, but delivered in a way that was so unique and so refreshing. I like it, it boggles my mind how you guys weren't the Kings of the world. It, really that record alone just, it's still, to this day stands the test of time tell me about tell me about those days man coming up starting out with that band was this was this the first band that you were in
1: is this the first band that got traction yeah the first band that got traction and I need to go back even a, a little little in time because the band started out with myself and three Brazilian cats and this is where I think there's a little, cha- a little special DNA, a little hot sauce in the Tolstoy record in that um, there was a drummer by the name of Magus Borges. And Magus, when we would sit down and write, and this is with Jack Moore and, and, uh, and Kevin Detoy and the bassist and guitarist, if we ever laid something out that sounded normal or plain or average, he would just stop in his tracks and it's say, it's too normal, it's too normal. <laughs> and so between him pushing us to, to go out a little bit out of, the, uh, out of the lines, and then we had an amazing manager, um, Bud Prager, who managed Foreigner and he managed uh, um, Mountain, to oh, wow. just name a couple, The For Foreigner is enough, right? Bud, we'd go into his office and we'd bring songs to him he had this massive, massive uh, office with gold records and platinum records all around. I mean, he, he doesn't have enough room. He had them stacked up on the floor. He had so many oh gold my god because of farming, right? Alone, right? And uh, we'd play a song from, and he'd just shake his head. And what was his line? He'd say, "Terrible, he'd say, terrible." <laughs> and And you know, you think it would give us a complex, and a lot of times we'd walk you know we'd walk out of there just shaking our heads, So "What the hell what are we doing wrong?" but eventually we'd walk out of there because he, we'd soften him up and he'd start understanding what we, where we were coming from, and the songs were getting there. Um, we were pushing ourselves and and uh and those guys like kevin totoy and and uh and, All the guys in the band were tremendous riders, all talented in their own right, and they never get their credit. So we went through uh, that gauntlet and we had people pushing us, pushing us, pushing us, not to be average. They wanted, we needed, look, when you're in the business and and it's a one in a million shot, you've gotta be able to stick out from this huge crowd. Yes. And so uh, Margo's the drummer saying it's too normal. And then Bud Prager, saying terrible, pushed us to do the best record that we were capable of doing at that time. And that's why we were, you know, uh, music uh, took a huge change. It had, you know, when we released Tolstoy's, and that's why no one saw it or heard it, because uh, grunge came in and, you know, shook the the apple tree. Right. And uh, we were, we fell by the wayside but that happens and that's life. You know, what are you going to do? But that's the reality.
0: Man, well, I mean, you know, grunge is what it is. And I mean, I love a lot of it, to be completely honest with you. However, you guys didn't sound like everybody else, man. You know, that was the coolest thing about tall stories. And that was the thing that kind of left me a bit perplexed was the fact that you know at that time you had a lot of the hair bands you had a lot of uh, of stuff like that right and that's and that's fine that's great right. like, all good we we know what happened you guys didn't like you guys didn't have that it wasn't you had oh gosh man you had those those familiarities at times but it was something a bit more raw and more melodic and it wasn't following the trend or
1: the path i get- I, I, I agree and the truth is oh, it's funny uh one or two photo sessions we had epic records brings in a stylist and they give you clothes and they puff up your hair and you know the next thing you know what you look like every tom dick and harry band in the world sure. and guitarist jack moore had had a goatee at the time uh, yeah. and they they, they they wanted him to shave it for the photos. And he walked out of there getting, getting back to, you know, he, he, up in arms. He was like, you know, you guys don't dig it. We, he had his, his thumb on the, on the pulse. He knew music was evolving. And we just, we just wanted to make music that we thought was interesting. Because we were listening to a wide spectrum of music, not just, uh, you know, you mentioned hair metal or, or whatever it's style we were coming from. Look, when you live and grow up in New York City, you're bombarded from every direction from so many beautiful, different styles of diverse yes. music. Yes, and so we took that with us. Getting back to the drummer as well, coming from Brazil, he just had a different spin on things, uh, whether rhythmically or melodically, and so that had started a little bit of the reason why we sounded just a little bit different. And you know, and kudos well, to
0: those guys. Yeah, man, for sure. And again, I, I urge all of you, if you want to do a little bit of a deep dive, do it and thank me later. Cause it really is, in my opinion, one of the it's criminally overlooked. And again, quite possibly one of my favorites, if not, you know, my pick for like the greatest rock and roll record ever. It's my just point. that good, man. It's well, that good.
1: I well that's a hell of a compliment. I'll, <laughs> I'll never look at your choice in the mouth. There you go, man. Well, but then, you know, let's let's go even
0: back a little bit further, man. I okay. mean tell me about growing up, about how, you know, how you discovered music, how you found your voice and and uh, you know what led you into uh you know this career that you have. All right, I'll
1: make it a very very long story short because But I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn and the New York City music system, uh, educational system at the time had funds to put instruments in kids' hands. And uh, that's really how it started. Uh, In grammar school, there was a wonderful teacher, Mr. Terry Grossa, Frederick Terry Grossa, who saw a spark of talent in a kid. So he taught me, he taught me how to sing a, a Puccini aria and, and uh, sing at an auditorium when I was five years old. Uh, from there, I went on to learn saxophone and clarinet and bassoon. And um, fast forward, uh, of course, the Beatles happened, and I saw them on television. I might have been about five years old or so. So that's, that planted a seed, and going forward, I put together a rock and roll band as kids. And um, one thing led to another, and we finally, I finally ended up in a band, in a, backing up this woman by the name of Marge Raymond. And Margie was uh, Aerosmith's background vocalist and ELO's background vocalist. Very cool. And so, so she put her together her band. I was playing rhythm guitar and uh, back and singing background vocals. And she got plucked when Aerosmith went down with Perry and. Uh, Joe Perry left, right, they left right. the rhythm section, they left a the void, and they tapped Marge to go sing. So they formed this wonderful band called Renegade, with Bob Mayo on piece and the rhythm section. Wow. And they, they hired J- uh, Jimmy Crespo. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jimmy. He was in Aerosmith for a while as well. So anyway, long story short is Margie left to do that project, and I jumped into the, Lee uh, lead situation. Wow. And, um, and that started, you know, at 15, I decided I want to be, uh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Absolutely. And then, you know, it's just, and uh, getting back to being in New York City, now there's, uh, growing up, there was a rock and roll band in every street, uh, on every garage, in every basement, there was at least one band. And you could literally walk a mile and hear about 12 bands. Rehearsing because that you know before video games everybody was picking up Les Pauls and SGS and Ludwig drums and you know right we want everybody wanted to play music that was the video game of the day wasn't it I love that yeah I that's, mean it's a fact it's just a way well that's absolutely going back now uh, looking back on it that's definitely what the story was so. Uh you know that's it. That that was the early childhood growing up in Brooklyn and everybody oh once so we had a a three-piece band called Thor. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. And uh and we were influenced by Rush and Led Zeppelin and uh and Kiss and Queen and Black Sabbath. And um we used to play all the battle of the bands and uh it was the darndest thing. We just you know we were just doing what we wanted to do, we were starting to write our own songs. And uh, we used to lend our equipment. I, I had a Marshall amplifier that my mother wished she got the money. I'll never know. You know, I was in a single, fa- uh, single parent household. We were just on the borderline of poverty, but she, one day she scraped up enough money for me to buy a used Red Marshall stack. Wow! And uh, we had a, the only band in the neighborhood who owned a PA system. It was just a PV. It was just a, a piggyback head with these really inexpensive, massive speakers. So whenever anybody had a gig, we'd lend it out, and uh, my amp would always blow up and it never come back working. It was that kind of thing. Of but course. there was community. It was a beautiful <laughs> musical community, and uh, that's the cats we we hung out with. You know? That's awesome, you know? man. And that I don't I don't think that uh, exists either anymore. Either it's just you know now everybody's it's making so music cool. on computers and, uh, and not in the basement, or so the garage band. I mean, garage band, it was a thing, it was reality. Well, anyway. I'll tell you who I did know. So I grew up with, literally grew up with, and went to um, grammar school and junior high, uh, was um, Gang Cemento of White Lion. Sure enough. And then, of course, he's with Megadeth, but everything in between, he was with Snake Pit and. Everything. Right. This one, oh, Credence, be toured with Credence, which is incredible. Um, wow. So James and I were, were tight. We were best buddies when we were kids. Um, who else? Uh, an acquaintance of mine, coincidentally, was um, CeCe DeVille. He lived down the road some in, in Brooklyn, and uh, which we'll get, we'll get to the Brett thing later about, about this summer tour, but you know, we find each other. Everybody kind of finds and There's a, quite a few people I'm probably leaving out.
0: But. Man. Well, I mean, the degrees of separation are just are, are minimal and it's, it's cool to see, especially, you know, around those people that you grew up with that, you know, it, it all comes back full circle, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a, that's a cool thing. Well, let's, let's, uh let's fast forward a little bit. So tall stories ends. Yeah. And you guys, you are, you got tapped to, uh, to sing with Taiketto. Is that correct? Is yeah. That correct?
1: Yeah. So here's this. one. So I'm working at a, a nightclub, swinging a hammer, uh, building a nightclub actually, and before and then I and then I segued into bartending for a year. But before the nightclub opened for a year, I worked with this fellow by the name of Steve Catone, really talented, also talented singer and, and musician, and he had a, a talent of he was very creative, sculptor, painter. And he had somebody backing him who had won the lottery, and gave him money to work for an entire year to build a nightclub in Staten Island. Oh wow! And he hired me, and uh, to build it. So for a year, uh, that year we got acquainted with the fellows from Taquero, because once once that nightclub opened, the band used to go there and, and play on a regular basis. As well as Lamore, I don't know if you ever heard of Lamoore's sure. rock capital of, of the world in Brooklyn. Nice. So um, Takedo, we we got to meet the fellas, and and one just one day out of the blue, I got a phone call to see if I would go down to Jersey Shore, and everybody knows the Jersey Shore from the TV show, right? They had a band house, <clears throat> and uh, there's these three guys hold up minus. Um, their singer Danny Vaughn, and they said, "Listen, we're going we're writing a new record. Would you come and give us, you know, give us a little input and write a couple of songs?" There? So I said, "Wow, that's great." Told stories had just closed shop, so to speak. we we uh, we had our last hurrah, and so I went out there and I drove back and forth from Staten Island, or maybe I was at Brooklyn at the time. And for about seven days, we wrote the record, and then after the seven days. Uh, they laid it on me that they were splitting from Danny and what I consider joining the band and singing with them. So again, long story short, I had such a great time with these guys. There was coming out of tall stories, the, the, days had gotten dark and bleak. You know, we were, as I said, the chapter was closing, the book was finished. And this, these guys were joyous and they had this energy. And we literally had more fun writing these 10 songs than I could ever imagine anybody could ever do. And we did it in seven days, I mean, seven days. So I said, well, listen, let's do it. Let's do a band, but we can't, it's, it's not, it doesn't sound anything like Taiketo. At the time I was gung ho about the, um, the Black Crows. I mean, I was loving Chris Robinson's delivery because he had this, kind of Steve Marriott thing from Humble Pie, which you know that's those are my boys. Yeah, yeah. And I was into that thing at that time. So we did a record that had a little bit of that Southern thing, you know, Americana kind of rock and roll, which was the, the antithesis. So just way different than any Taekedo record have, ever done. Right. So just before the record was about to go into production, I guess the artwork and the, the pressing of the CD, the label said, we have to release it as a Taikato record. That's just what we're going to do, or there's no record. So our back was against the wall and we went ahead and did it, but it, it didn't fly because they had a wonderful fan base. Right. And they were used to a certain style of music and all of a sudden they got thrown a curveball. Now, it was a, I think it was a great record. I think it should have had, if it had its own identity, own name and a new brand, quote unquote, it would have had a fighting chance. But we pissed off the fans initially, certainly. Sure, sure. Which brings us, this is a stepping stone in a learning lesson, a lesson learned when I joined Journey, was asked to join Journey. And we can get into that. Indeed. Well,
0: I want to stick on this Tall Stories thing just for a little bit. Or I'm sorry, uh, Taikato. Yeah. And what I want to touch base on was you guys recorded this record at Pachyderm Studios in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> you guys go and record this record at Pachyderm Studios in Cannon Falls. Right. And this place has, you know, recorded In Utero by Nirvana and Grave Dancers Union by Soul Asylum. But I remember, you know, hanging with you. Uh, while you were with Journey, and we we had this conversation about recording at Cannon Falls, and you asked me the question that that so many people ask about about pachyderm. Did you see the ghost? Yeah. Did you see the? <laughs> did you see it? Do you have any
1: stories about that, man? Well, here, here, I'm just
0: morbid curiosity.
1: This is a great. Just it's just a great uh, little slice of my timeline. So we jumped into a van. I don't know if it must have been a rental. I don't. God knows it must have been a 1980, 1970 van. Um, the whole the band's gear goes in the van, and there are four dudes sitting up front, squished up, you know, to the, the windshield. And we drove through the night, clear. Although it maybe took us all the twelve hours or so, we get into this package studio, which is deep into the woods. Yeah, you know, fantastic. It's the most beautiful, serene setting you can ever imagine and it's uh what do you call like all the trees it's a huge canopy there's there's no sunlight to really speak of it's all right there underneath these wonderful old mature trees right with the exception of a a brook there's like a stream that runs along the side yes (laughs) it has its own story so um I don't know if it was the first night, but we we brought a, at the time I was drinking. I'm eight years sober now.
0: Oh, right on, man! I'm seven, so oh, look at you going on going on my eighth, man! So right yes. on,
1: good on you. It's the new black, hey man. <laughs> so, uh, kids, it's the new black. Um, so I don't know if it was the first night or the second night, but we're sitting around drinking B B, right? Benedictine and brandy, or beers, a whole bunch of this and that, and. I think we're starting to see shadows or somebody said, did you see that? And, you know, we're like, what did you tell them? No, we didn't see anything. And a couple of days go by and uh, and then I guess we must have spoken to one of the staff. And he says, oh, you guys don't know. We were talking about, you know, odd things happen. Maybe it was the booze. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, they said, oh, no, don't you know this place is haunted? We were like, what? And, of course, now, now the hairs are raised on our arms and on our necks. And now we're looking for it. And now we're, you know, materi- now it's just manifesting everywhere. And, <laughs> you know, who, who moved the butter in the refrigerator? Right. You know, hey, my guitar, my guitar is, you know, it's out of tune. And it's, no, it's not just a little out of tune. It's like whack out of tune, things like that. But here's another crazy little story. Um, we did a song on the, on the record called Radio Mary. And um, I was talking about, which I, which is one of my favorites off that record, we I go out to the stream that's the sides of the studio. And it's in the dead of the forest, and it's a glorious day, and I need a break, I don't know if I'm working on lyrics, I just need to clear my head. And I walk, uh, I don't know if I walk about a quarter mile down the stream, and in the middle, or like just off to the side of the stream, uh, there's a statue of Mary, right? Mother of Jesus. Right. Uh, if you grew up in New York City or in Brooklyn, my Nick Italian neighborhood, every other house had, we used to call them Mary on a clamshell. No disrespect, no sacrilege, but we call them Mary on a clamshell because behind the statue of Mary, it just had this, what looked like a clamshell. Right, right. So one of these Marys on a clamshell was in the middle of a stream out no of bl- bl- thin air What's it doing there? I mean, c- come on, and we're doing a song called "Radio Mary," so that was kind of odd as well. This yes, kind
0: of, you know. <laughs> 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 man, I just all the stories that I hear of that ghosts and my own like little experiences too. I mean, I'm I'm Mr. Skeptic, but there's something there's something real interesting at that place, man. And uh, it's always it's always funny just to have that little group of of musicians. Who have worked there? Who have stayed there? And and like you said, this this place, man. Pachyderm has the band house, which it, it looks like a Frank Lloyd Wright house. It's just oh, it, it's, outstanding. It's crazy. It's it's such a, a beautiful place. But yeah, man, I I'll I'll never forget you know several of these moments, and it's stuff like that, man. So it's it's so cool to have even just that little uh, you know that
1: little thing that we can share of like,
0: Pachyderm wow oh, yeah.
1: yeah you know <laughs> just not to have, give him a huge plug but it was a beautiful room the, the the uh the drum room when you cut the tracks huge massive drum room yes beautiful control room that was a that was a pleasure god yeah. if i remember correctly too
0: you know and again talking shop but if i remember correctly that board was uh was the neve um that was in Electric Ladyland and then was John Lennon's, if I remember correctly, and then brought into pachyderm. And now it's, oh my gosh, I want to say it's it's in Florida right now. So. Oh, really? Well,
1: you know, <laughs> things like that sometimes, if the word gets out, I mean, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't doubt uh, Electric Lady would say, hey, get that board back or something like that. Because, right. Because that's got some history. Oh, man, true. right
0: to it yeah Uh, yeah so i mean that was essentially that was probably the last board that was used for both man i don't that might even be a little cryptic but i'm just thinking about this now so that would probably have been the last board that hendrix used the last board that lennon used and and even the last board that possibly possibly uh uh cobain used so that's yeah. crazy now that I think about that. But anyway.
1: I, I'm going to take it, just a brief detour because you mentioned Lennon and, and this kind of gear. Uh, when I was, well, when I was probably in my early 20s, getting back to that Brazilian band, they were yeah, three, yeah. just prior to, uh, they were called Maestro, Maestro. And one by one, we replaced one of these wonderful, talented Brazilian musicians with an American New York guy, which finally became Toll Stories. Um, so we're so uh, we're getting spec deals, right? We're being allowed to record for free in the middle of the night, you know, anywhere from twelve to maybe eight. I don't know. Sure. 10, Ten to four, whatever, for free, with the uh, understanding that if some miracle happens and we get signed. We're gonna use the studio to record a full record, you know? And this is also a great, uh, great way for the assistant engineers to go to work and practice and record, you know, bands. You know, think of Bon Jovi pushing a broom and he wants to be an assistant engineer or an engineer. Well, he starts recording bands in the middle of the night. Right. That's exactly what we're doing. So one night I'm doing a vocal session, and the owner of the studio is there, and he's producing. This is one of the good good sessions i'm doing and in the middle of the, the session he's, now again this is maybe two in the morning and he stops us and he says uh give me a minute he runs upstairs now this is after john Lennon passed and john Lennon did a great many hours recording in um in record studios in new york city now it's an indian restaurant by the way wow. um and he comes, he goes into his safe up in maybe some, some other floor. He comes in with this old, old uh, Neumann microphone. I don't remember the exact model. But he said, this is the, well, first before that, he said, Steve, I want you to sing, and I want you to sing as softly and sweetly as you can, which I wasn't doing. I was probably belting and just, you know, not thinking, you know, what's my motivation, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes and brings this mic. He said, the last person that used this was John Lennon. And I've had it in the safe. I've had it in the safe all these years since his his death. And I want you to use it. And I want you to just listen to me. And he's producing. this. This is what I want you to do with this very special microphone. I want you to, you know, just be somebody else and sing it as emotionally as you possibly can. And that is was one of the very most special moments w- in recording for myself. Oh my God! To, I mean, to have that man. honor to be to be granted that honor and uh, bestowed to me by again um, this wonderful man who's not with us anymore. Roy Sakala was his name. He was the owner of the studio. Roy Sakala. Roy, this one's for you, buddy. Yeah, man. Wow.
0: I'm going to take a short break from my conversation with Steve Algeri. to admit something to you that I'm not real proud of. I was really late to the hot sauce game, y'all. Yeah, I, it's a sad thing, right? Just, I was just late to it. I have one Billy Gibbons to thank for showing me the light. As a matter of fact, I remember being on tour with him, and he brought me onto his bus, and uh, in the front area of his bus is the kitchen area. And along the wall of this kitchen area was hot sauce after hot sauce after hot sauce. It lined the entire area. It was incredible, all these hot sauces that he'd amassed. I remember going grocery shopping with him and checking out hot sauces in the grocery store. So, uh, you know, ever since then, and ever since Mr. Gibbons, you know, showed me the magic that is hot sauce, I have been a changed man. I (laughs) go out and I seek The best hot sauces I could possibly find, and I have some for you right now. Crime Robbers. Crime Robbers Hot Sauce. You want to check them out. Man, there are so many different flavors of this hot sauce. So many levels of heat from mild to just absolutely rip your head off. They are so good. You need to check them out. So please go check out Crime Robbers. You can find them at crimerobbers.square.site. S-I-T-E, crimerobbers.square.site. You let them know that your buddy K.V. sent you, and get ready for hot sauce excellence. Go visit their website. Go visit their socials. Burn and rejoice, my friends. It's Crime Robbers. I mean, a lot of us are, are, are familiar with, uh, you know, how you got the the, the gig with Journey, right? So you were doing the, the gap thing and, and you got the call, but man, how did you go into it? And how did you, you know, how did it affect you on a
1: personal level? Well, let me answer this uh, around around the bond, so to speak. Sure. Because uh, you, you keep on bringing up Mr. Consistency and I will be the first one to tell you that I'm the least consistent or <laughs> had been up until I joined you, And this is the truth, because whenever I would do a show with either Taiketo or Told Stories, they were never, well, yes, they were tours, but I used to get pretty beat up. I'd go out there because I never had training. So I'd go out there like a street fighter. Uh, think of the gangs in New York or think of, uh, what's the one in Coney Island? come out, the Warriors. Right? Yeah, the Warriors, yeah. really you should go out there and give it 200%. And when I walked off stage, there was nothing left. I left it all on stage. You know, and that's not smart if you have to get up and do it again the next day, right? Right, right. So I literally used to have a whole week to recover and my voice would be back to 100%. So, so when, I, when I got the Journey gig, I was this guy that I 'm talking about, and I had to learn to go from that brawler right to a fine seasoned schooled educated singer and so I went to the best vocal uh, coaches uh, Joel Hewing was one of them in uh, in West Hollywood, who was actually one of Steve's coaches or, or teachers uh, to name a couple of us. Um, and I went from this scrapper to somebody who started to learn the ropes and learn how health was a big issue. And, but, but getting back to when I did get the gig, and in between that, getting the, show, getting the gig and doing my first show, I used to have a little minivan. And we lived in a little apartment in Brooklyn. And I used to get in my little minivan uh, after work, And so maybe from 7 to 10 o'clock, I would drive all over New York City. So I'd go hit all the boroughs. I'd drive up and down Manhattan, up one avenue, and up down the other, up another avenue. And I'd literally cover the entire grid, singing first my lesson, and then I'd sing the set. Wow. So this is how I literally trained, because I... I was very self-conscious singing in my apartment. I had people above me and outside. And even, I, I, you know, at first, I, you know, you're a little rough when you're starting this, after not singing for X amount of time. And then, uh, so I literally, my little minivan and the road was a big factor in me learning the, the journey set getting cool. from point A to point B. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. A lot of guests I, I a lot of gas, man, and a, lot of my, and a lot of miles. Right,
0: right, man. Yeah. It was,
1: it was beautiful, i got to tell
0: you. I bet, man. I mean, but, okay, so just, again, I want to get on that personal level, not even with the guys, but just, like, I mean, as, as a singer, as who you are to front
1: a legendary band like that, how did that sit with you? aside from being daunting and being an honor to be and a privilege to be to ask to do it, it was um it was like my last chance at what a dr- of a dream that i had, had since i was i saw the beat since i was five right. so there i was 48 and someone's giving me a second chance so what do you do do you, do you waste it do you let it what do you go and really really grab, grab that tiger by the tail. And so that's basically what I did. I mean, just think about it, you know, because if you don't give it a million percent, it may never happen. So I did, I did what I never did in my life. And I really applied myself in every aspect, every, every which
0: way would lose. Man. Well, I loved it. I loved it. And you and I had spoke just before we got on the air. I, when, when I had met, when I had met you, when I had met Steve here, I had met him at Red Rocks in in Colorado, and uh, it was it was after the show, and that was probably you know I've I've gone to several several journey shows. And I think that is probably my favorite one. Definitely top five concerts for me was this Red Rock performance, right? But when we're talking backstage, I remember telling him, I was like, because I was such a huge fan of tall stories. And, and you know, I, I already fanboyed on that one, man. But, <laughs> you know, but I told you, I was like, I knew somehow, some way deep down, I don't even know what it was. I knew that this guy was gonna be the singer for Journey at some point, And there he is. And man, it worked and and you did a hell of a job, man. So so good on you for for just for taking the bull by the horns, man, and and stepping up to the plate because that had, again, huge shoes to fill for sure. But brother, you knocked it out of the park and and brought some of the best music that that band has created, you know. Gosh, like ever. Like I I love the records that you're on. So Well,
1: thank you. I mean, I mean just being a small part of their history is is quite an accomplishment. I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, but I, you know what, I told you, I do like to talk shop and just while we're on the subject. Oh, sure. I'm not skirting the journey issue, but my band and I, the Steve Jury Band just played Red Rocks for a, a private party. If you can imagine, somebody rented Red Rocks. Now, sure. if you guys are familiar with Red Rocks, it's an amazing amphitheater built into the red stone rock, just outside of Denver. Yep. And so the one thing I remembered before, and I was kind of freaking out about it, I was getting a little anxious, because it's, you know, it's some days are challenging to sing sea level, but now you're a mile high, the air's thin, and it takes every ounce of energy to suck that air in and produce a sound. And I remember the shows I did with Journey, they'd always have uh, oxygen for both myself and any drummer, at the time it was Dean Castronovo. And in between breaks, we'd go behind the drum riser and we'd be sucking air, you know, oxygen just to get our shit together, right? Um, so we just did this show and lo and behold, it was the same. However, for some crazy reason, I had the easiest. Well, maybe because I was used to it and I knew what to expect, but I had one of the best shows I ever sang that nobody heard except this small crowd of maybe 100 people in this massive um legendary venue yes but- so it, it was kind of good to walk away and say oh you know that wasn't so bad after all was it <laughs> well, man, and it was good that- to go back to what an incredible venue if you guys ever get a chance to get to denver whether you see a show or not, they'd probably be able to, you know, drive out there and just take a look and, and see what how magnificent.
0: Yeah, when I know that when I've been on the road, um, you know, I I have yet to play Red Rocks, man. <laughs> but never we're on the road and we're actually out that way. We definitely make a little stop there, just because g- there's there's little trails there. We go hiking and and wow. you can actually get into the venue, um, and you know, kind of just walk up and down the steps, man, and, and, yeah. and that, was, that was fantastic, but yeah, it is, it is legendary, and Good. you know, just... Let me just
1: say real quick, that particular night, or the night before, it snowed, so there nice. was, so we were singing, we were playing in the mid-20s, Fahrenheit, and there was snow on the seats and the ground, so that was a blast, man. Wow, that was a first. Wow, wow, man. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we got out, after that show, we were like, phew, we did it. And
0: how how did you do it? Right. Right. I'm going down this this you know this highway of your career, of your life. And here we are, solo artist again putting out great music. Tell me about you know the creation of Seven Ways to Sunday. You know, you're talking about the pandemic. Are are these songs that you that you had, are these songs that came about, you know, fairly recently? Talk about that uh, that whole thing, man.
1: Okay, great. So, so over the last past ten years, as I said, I've I've recorded and released some songs as singles, and now it was time to do a record. Yes. However, what motivated me was the shut when we got shut down in uh, early 2020. Uh, here we are in New York City, and it's it's Ground Zero, and the place is it's like uh everybody's freaking. I mean we're we're seeing the worst of the worst the worst possible situation uh has has presented itself and it's evolving and it's only getting worse. So everything's shutting down all the shows are getting canceled and um my son and I frankly we had just returned from uh, three shows one in oklahoma one in uh, Mexico and one in Austin, Texas. And as soon as we get home, my son and I are sick. So we go to the emergency room, and everybody's wearing hazmat suits. And uh, they don't—they don't yet have um, testing the, the means to test you. So they test us for every other thing imaginable, and uh, we come back negative, but we're all deathly sick. So they send us home. So, so let me get beyond this. I won't get deep into that. What it did do to me mentally was said, Steve, you have a, a litany of, a, a, and, a, and a trunk full of songs. You need to make a record, get it out there before the end of the world happens. You, know? you need to do this for yourself. So that's exactly what I did. So I started writing immediately with two fellas in my band, uh, Craig Pullman, he'd come up with a, an idea he'd send it off to our guitarist, um, Adam Holland. And Adam would send me what they, what they worked on, and then I would take it and restructure it a little bit, shape it, put a melody and lyrics to it. And we created three songs on the record, Seven Ways to Sunday, Bated Breath, and Beautiful, the third track. Um, and those, so we created, or I found out we had a pretty decent writing team. And that, that's the best thing that I think came out of this pandemic was that we found ourselves as a team and writing. And again, it was another joy writing with these guys because uh, it just was. And so uh, then I started reaching back in my past and I found two songs that I had written with, with one with Jonathan Kane and one with Neil Sean. Uh, Neil's song was a song called Desert Moon and uh, the one with Jonathan Keane is the new single called Never Far From Home. And then uh, I took those songs that I had just written, and the two songs from my past, and I just started to want to put to, together a well-rounded record. Uh, I think that I was very conscious of making sure that I didn't um, repeat myself. I wanted to keep it fresh, each song kind of be a little diversified. Uh, so stylistically, sometimes it takes a little turn left and a little right. And uh, I think that's when I'm really, again, it was conscious because my favorite records were records like that. And, and it gets back to the Beatles. Because when I think of my favorite Beatle records, they were kind of, you know, they always kept you guessing. If you dropped the needle on the, on the, uh, on the turntable, on the LP, and you went from track to track, something different chunks out, some different flavor, some different information. And I kept, I kept that in mind at the forefront of my brain. And I wanted to do that. Whether I succeeded or not, I, that's for the listener to uh, decide. But that was, so, so we put together a, a group of songs and, uh, and that's it, it's called Seven Ways Till Sunday. It's my expression, it's a way to self-express. And that's, that's probably half the, the beauty of it, is finally to tell your story. I think I'm getting a chance to tell my musical story. Well,
0: okay. a story, like you said, it's very diverse. There's, there's a lot of um, variety, versatility found in the record, right? It's rock and roll with, with, you know, gosh, I'm hearing even like little Motown things in there, here and there. It really does cover a lot of area But the songs are fantastic, man. And the production is fantastic. And it sounds fresh. You really accomplished something very, very special with this brand new record. I really believe that.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I've taken a bit of a chance because I think if, uh, look, I've, I've listened to music and I love so many different styles of music. And it could be the kiss of death. It could be suicidal if you step out of the lines of a specific genre. But I've never been about that, or I never wanted to be about that because I love too many styles of music. So I try to stay within the boundaries and still kind of poke the bear, so to right. speak, you know, right? right? So, um, so a lot of it has to do with, I, uh, I incorporated a cat who, who well, mixed it, a really special guitarist by the name of Steve Mandel. He's down in, in Nashville with a band called Six Wire. Now, Steve is a brilliant guitarist, but he's also produces uh, and he's played with some, I mean, it's just huge names in country music. But um, he mixed my record and he did it, he came up, he did it uh which was kind of the freshness that people are talking about i think has a lot to do with his his ear and what he so he took what i was throwing at him and he put it through his filter and that has a lot to do with it Man. you know uh, there's a lot of things i would never dream of doing and he loves to he likes snare i mean you know louder than the voice for christ's sake <laughs> but that's how they do things in nashville right these, you know just just you know, we, we, uh, we, we battle about that every once in a while, but, you know, and, and then we compromise. And at the end of the day, I think the record sounds, you know, different. I think there is something unique about, uh, and then again, maybe it's not unique at all to contemporary listening. But to me, it's got a freshness, and, and, and that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. It sounds, it sounds fresh. It and yet sounds-
1: it, it's got, I think it's got vintage stuff that would have, you mentioned Motown and uh, you know, I grew up, my dad, my uncle put me into the, in front of a television set to listen to, to the Beatles and my dad played Motown and all these great RB records when I was a child, uh, including Sinatra with that so, so you here we go, wax, a bowl of wax <laughs> together, and you got a gumbo that's got all kinds of seasonings and different kind of things. So,
0: And that turns that's, out to be Seven Ways Till Sunday, man. It's, and that's, that's what it is. Absolutely. You are right, sir. Yes, sir. Well, with that said, Seven Ways Till Sunday, this is the title track. I want to play this. Can you tell us a little bit about the song?
1: Well, as I said, um, uh, the talented Craig Pullman, who by the way my band was originally uh, a band by the name of valentine and hugo valente was the singer and uh one day these guys fell into my lap and i'm happy they did i'm glad they did because they've been with me for over 10 years now with the exception of my son now is the drummer so my son adam is on the kit behind me so So that's that's a thrill and, and it's it's beautiful so The concept was, the musical concept was, Craig lays this piano, which you'll hear the introduction. And then uh, he hands it off to the guitar player and he does his thing and he gives a little edit here and there. And they lay it on me and, uh, you know, listening to their music inspires me to write a a melody on top of it, um, to fit there what they've laid in front of me. And, you know it just had, it fell into place pretty quickly and um, and I'll tell you another thing too which I've never mentioned I had just gotten over covid maybe this is the second time because I've had it for th- three times and the voice is just recovering and I think I I stepped down the I stepped down the key a half step because I'm having trouble singing so but at the end of the day at the getting back to the john lennon microphone and the producer at at, um record plant i think there's an emotion that i would have never gotten had i was in 100 health and if it was back in the original original key i think it i think it comes through the speakers i think it somehow as a listener i think you hear some desperation and so things happen for a reason and that's that's what you hear and the performance.
0: Well there you go. Seven Ways a Sunday by Steve Jagery. Check it out. same name you got a lot going on with this record man and it's been you know it's been awesome to listen to the whole thing it's been awesome to hear you know the stories behind it the stories of, of you coming up to this point because this really is a culmination of, of your story like you were saying with that said within these songs within the collection of these 11 songs here what is your story what are you trying to express with with this
1: particular collection it's just my first solo record, and I didn't want to leave any emotion. I didn't want. I wanted to convey different feels and different moods that I that I like to listen to when I listen to music. And um, you know, I'm going to talk to the songwriters out there, and 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 ask you if you've ever written a song that brings you to tear. I mean, it there's something divine about it, or there's some, something of another world of something comes down and touches you, and, and you are able to create something that brings an emotion out, out of you. And this happens on occasion. Another strange thing happened to me where I would wake up with a song in my head, and I know this happens to other people too, and then just get right to a pen and paper or a guitar, and how on earth do you create in a dream? And how does it? I mean, where does that come from? Right, right. I'm still trying to figure
0: that out myself. That's insane. Yes, insane.
1: Yes. So, so these things have happened during the creation of this record, during the writing process, and that sort of thing. And um, it's just, uh, you know, I, I'm a private person, but when it comes to music, I want to share it. And it's, it's, that, it's like that. You know, doing an interview like this, I'll shy away normally. I was like, no, 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 uh, no, no publicity, please. No, I, I'd rather not do that. or no, I'd rather not do that. But when it comes to talking shop, I like to get under the hood with you, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> so I love doing that. And, um, and when it comes to expressing music, uh, that's what I'll talk about. I love it. And, uh, and I'm glad you gave me that outlet today. Amen. I appreciate it. And you and all your listeners. Well, thank you. Well, here we go, man. We also got
0: to talk about this because I cannot stop talking about this. I want to see you out on the road. You're going out on the road. You got hooked up with quite the tour, my friend. And Dude. I've been seeing, I've been seeing like promo stuff for it, you know, across the social media platforms. I've been, you know, hearing about it on radio. Tell me about
1: this tour coming up. So years back, uh, I made an acquaintance of Mr. Brett Michaels, who is an incredible shining star, both in entertainment-wise and so many other aspects of life. The guy—he's just remarkable. I'll leave it at that. But I'm thankful to have met him and know, and, and come to know him. So Brett tapped me for his—he's got this brilliant. Tour coming up this summer called Party Gras. and it's exactly that. He's got uh, Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray. He's got Night Ranger and Jefferson Starship on the bill. And Mark and I are going to be guesting, coming up with his band and doing a handful of songs each of us with his band, the uh, the Brett Michaels band, who are fantastic and a good friend of mine, the guitarist uh, Pete Evic. Oh the, yeah, this guy. he's wonderful. But and so, again, if you get a phone call from Brad and say, hey, Steve, come join me and my party, girl. We're going to have a great time. We are really going to have nothing but a good time. And, uh, and it's going to be, you know, everybody just playing a handful, a bunch of hits from beginning to end, and it's just going to be outstanding. And it's literally, I mean, the fans are going to get their money's. Worth. That's the story. Right, that's so cool, and man. I'm because- just happy to be part of it.
0: Well, absolutely. But again, it's like, I mean, how many hits? Oh my gosh. Like that's the second I heard about that lineup and I saw the promo for it. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is just going to be like, I mean, this is ear candy
1: all day long. Right? Yeah. And I'll tell you what, uh, I've come to know Mr. McGrath, Mark, and he's the same kind of cat. These two guys could have been brothers because they're just high energy, positive vibes, just, you know the room when these two guys walk into the room is it lights up. It could go on. It could go on fire because their energy is so high and their, you know, attitude is so, you know, positive. Uh, it's contagious. I love it. Yeah, so it's I, a blast, man. When I was uh,
0: I was playing guitar for a band called Scarlet Hayes back in the day with uh, my dear friend Cat Perkins, and one of the bands that we'd play with quite often was Brett's band. Oh. And I can tell you right now that I mean, yeah, the guys in his band are fantastic, but he is such, he is such a good guy, man. He is but, such a nice
1: cat. But you know, when he hits the stage, man, he, it's a thousand percent. Yeah, it, I mean, he gets it. he, Everything. Nobody walks away and said, "Brett, you know, he lays it out there. He doesn't leave anything out, and you walk away smiling, singing." Uh he just has this effect on people. He's just, you know. He is That's yeah. why he's we're still doing this, you know, here and now at our stage of our career. He's the man. He is the man. He is the man. And
0: yeah, what a hell of a showman. And like you said, a thousand percent every single night. Like he does not phone it in. Yeah, you know, the times that oh, really. we played with him. Yeah, I've never seen that guy phone it in.
1: He's a special cat. What's next for you? Um well you know i'm working this record and i just want to get it to as many sets of ears as possible um you know i'm not in it i'm com- comfortable i have a roof over my head i don't think the bank's going to take it at this point so i'm not in it for the money i'm definitely in it for the joy and i want like i said i want to share music i want to create it's my art form i love making music and performing it so that i'm going to continue to do that for a little longer i don't know exactly how much longer and uh and this summer i'm actually going to put together the, the, the songs that are released over the past 10 years i'm going to put together a collection of these songs called the singles i'll have another cd to add to this you know seven waves till sunday and um i'm looking forward to, to sharing that as well putting that out and uh, you know just putting it out fantastic man well usually at the
0: end of the show I go with these rapid fire questions, man. So it's like, you don't even think it's just like, whatever comes to your mind, you just, you just just go, right? All right, man. In your career, man, top three songs that you feel can kind of define
1: your career. Oh, wild on the run. Higher place from journey. Wild on the run from told stories. And, um, We Will Meet Again from the Generations record. Sure. Sure enough. All right. Top three singers. Ooh. Well, there's so many, for so many different reasons. I mean, Robert Plant has been a huge influence on me. Um, Before that was Mr. Steve Marriott from Humble Pie, who was my, I'm going to give you my top six, I guess. Do it. And in no and no sequence, Steve Marriott uh, of Humble Pie, um, Freddie of Queen, uh, Steve Perry. Um, I'm going to link him with Steve uh, Sam Cook. I hope you don't mind, Steve. <laughs> but uh, but Steve. So who I've left you? I've left you. Robert Plant, Steve Marriott. Freddie Mercury, Steve Perry. I mean, I can stop there, but I'm, I know I'm leaving out quite a few. Uh, you know, and then there's music. Uh, and maybe I'll stop there because I'm, I'm drawing blanks.
0: But that's, um, that's a hell of a list, man. You know, yeah, that, I have no problem. With I can that. go with
1: Ian Gillen. Sure. I can go with uh, oh uh, Glenn Hughes. Yeah. Those two yeah. guys together. I think that's my six. That's there you go. Five.
0: God, and those guys are still just.
1: Killing it, man! But then there are guys like Seal, and there's dudes like uh, you know, modern current people. Bono, I was a huge Bono fan. Peter Gabriel. But we'll stop there. I love it. I love it, man.
0: All right. If there was a band or an artist, living or dead, that you
1: could ever collaborate with, who would who would it be? Wow. These are not quick answers. <laughs> Alive or dead? Either or. Yeah. I don't know. Does this make me a loner if I don't say anybody? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> you know, I, I gotta. I gotta go back to my roots because uh, you know, the Beatles lit my fire. They lit the fuse, and if I could just be a fly on the wall and 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 watch them work and and observe them, yeah. you know, there, uh, there was something interesting that. Uh, you know who John Coladner is? No, oh, absolutely. John Coladner was the guru, A uh, and R man for many years. Aerosmith um, and Journey, on and on and on. White Snake. And he once said to me, "When you go to work with with Journey, he said, one thing you do is you keep your eyes and your ears open and absorb like a sponge. Learn everything you possibly can." And I think I. Well, I did to, to the best of my ability. I tried to be that sponge. So I would do that with the Beatles. I'd love to listen to watch their process. Yeah. That's, That's it. Amazing. Last one. One song that you wish you wrote, what would it be? You know, uh, a lot of times people ask me what's my favorite Journey song. And I would have to say, it's, it, what hits home for me is Motherfucker. That's and it's not just because of the writing I don't think uh, Steve Perry's performance is untouchable and Mr. Dean Castronovo sings that with the song with the band currently but that touched a nerve with me my family was, I come from a broken home and my dad and my dad was drank a little bit too much like I sort of did at one time and that, that song hits home and that I would say that song, and that's yes. that's a that's a great
0: song, and yeah. uh, uh, I I definitely feel you on on that, brother. Yeah. I, I thank you so much for hanging with me, man. And uh, dude, I again, I'm telling everybody, go check out, do the deep dive on this guy. Like his whole catalog, I keep telling him, Mitch consistency. There's not a bad record this guy has done. It's it's crazy, it's crazy. But right now, his brand new one, Seven Ways Till Sunday, is it's so fresh and it's so good and there's something for everyone and you're gonna dig it so go check it out this is mr steve algeri
1: thank you ken thank you everybody you all have a good life
0: and that my friends is all she wrote i'd like to thank my special guest this week steve algeri a man who has such a fascinating career and just great music throughout Go check it out. He has a brand new release called Seven Ways Till Sunday, which is out now. Go check it out. Go see him on the Party gras tour. Him, Brett Michaels, Night Ranger, Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray, uh, Jefferson Starship. I mean, it's just hit after hit after hit after hit. It is going to be a lot of fun. Go see him there for sure. Also, check out his website and his socials. Speaking of websites and socials, hey, Go visit mine, www.kenvaldez.com. Over there, you can find out where I'm playing. You could also find out more about my music. Plus, it has links to all of my socials, and I love hearing from you guys. So be in touch, please. I'll get back to you for sure. Also, if you enjoy what you're hearing and you want to, you know, lend a little bit of a helping hand, we got a Patreon going, and it is quite cool www.patreon.com Ken Valdez approach every little bit of help keeps the wheels on this bus moving and uh, believe me it takes a lot to keep these wheels moving and so until next time my friends be good to each other take care of one another bye bye exactly what I do every time I look